What's up, everybody? It is Sunday, November 21st, 4.51 p.m. Pacific time, and we are joined by not the usual suspects. We do have Pat, but we are joined by Mike McDaniel of Sons of Saturday National and 10,000 other podcasts, and we are joined by Chris Himes, phenomenal writer, family man, and the son of Saturday. We are excited to break down several things. We are here to talk about First and foremost, the article that Chris put out about the top uh, top 20, where does Virginia Tech fall in terms of the excitement behind the job? And then we're going to do some coaching carousel stuff, talk about some uh, backgrounds, who do we like, what are we looking for? And then at the end, in the second half of the podcast, we will be doing our Miami breakdown. Pat, as always, kiss us off with a hokey haiku, please. Shout out to... Our guy, Travis Dye, Gobble Shots Tailgate, submitting the haiku here this evening. Napier or Huff? Chadwell, O'Brien, Clausen? Who's it going to be? Sons of speculation. That is a, a great question there, Travis. Sons of suspense. Who knows? Who knows? Um, first time that we've had everybody here, it's going to be a little bit of a round table. So first of all, Chris, the question, uh, to kick us off here is what prompted you to write this article? What inspired you to write this article? Um, just kind of give us the heads up on that. Like all good things, uh, you, you read message boards, uh, you bang your head against your desk, and then you feel like you need to throw your hat in the ring in terms of structuring a better narrative. Uh, so that's kind of how that came to be. I was just reading a lot of, I don't know, like misperceptions, but basically just everybody was picking a piece, a component. Uh, oh, we are this or we are that. And so therefore we are a top 40 school, top 35 school. No one was giving it the kind of full lens of what you should when you look at a school and kind of what kind of program it is. And so that's what I was set out to do. So I tried to find as many kind of categories as I possibly could that I could also find um, some detail behind to really talk about kind of put it all together and and even for me found some surprising anecdotes about Virginia Tech just kind of how we stacked against other programs and a lot of them and then overall just kind of you know tried to take the orange and maroon glasses uh so to speak off and give it the unbiased look and it, I felt the argument was pretty compelling like if you think that we are a top 40 school uh I think you're wrong if you also have some gusto and think we're a top 15 school. I don't think we approach those uh, in, in a lot of these categories, but a very solid argument, plus or minus one in that top 20 category. I feel like we're a top 20 school. So that's why I've kind of structured it that way. So we can talk about it if you want to. Absolutely. Before we dive into that, I do want to just point uh, draw a little bit of a conclusion to uh, another school that's dealing with this in the University of Miami. It's just weird. It's like people are trying to figure out do we value jobs based upon how much somebody is going to get paid, how easy it is to win there, how impossible it is to win there? There are so many factors that go into it. And when at the end of the day, the fans really just care about, are we going to win? How are we going to win? The expectation is do better than the guy before. Whereas the coach has probably a bunch of other things they're looking at recruiting grounds and how easy is it to get where I want to get, or how can I get to the job after this? If I go there, um, But Pat, I'll go ahead and let you uh, ask some questions about Chris's article. Yeah, Chris. So you broke it down into six different pillars. Um, Historical precedent, regional talent, leadership stability, a strong fan base, a weak conference. And then the last one was funding 
and growth. And just, just to catch everyone up here, Chris put out an awesome article last week called Sons of Scientific Facts. Virginia Tech is a top 20 college football program, program, program. Um, and he has us in the top 20. Um, just looking at the list here, Florida State 16, Southern Cal 17, Miami 18, Oregon 19, and then Virginia Tech number 20. Um, squeaking in. Squeaking in. Sons of squeaking. Talk to us about, you know, what you think of these six pillars. Which ones are the most important as far as factoring in to creating a top 20 program? The way it is with Virginia Tech, and everybody always talks about, you know, we are this kind of niche school or Southwest Virginia, um, but I, I really feel like location, 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 it's everything. Um, if you are not like one of those, you know, multi-decade blue blood, you've won several national titles, you recruit across the entire country. So, you know, those Ohio States, those Alabamas of the world. So if you are a school that's not that, it better matter where you are. And this is what I believe truly separates um, Virginia Tech from like, let's say like a common big 12 school or one of those big 10 schools in some Midwestern state that just doesn't have easy access to regional talent. So I really feel like regional talent was probably number one. And that kind of struck across uh, the fact that Virginia Tech is not only in Virginia, but it's also adjacent to North Carolina. So it shares and enjoys a little bit of access to each kind of hotbed for recruiting talent. Um, and I, and I, I looked at kind of why uh, they are strong regions uh, overall. And it's just, they produce NFL caliber talent. It's just where people live and they have a history of strong high school football. Um, and so that was probably number one. Um, and the other one for me was just historical precedent. Uh, people believe they can win at Virginia Tech because we have won at Virginia Tech and at a high level. So uh, those two, uh, and then probably last but not least is just that kind of leadership and stability. I think you're seeing it right now and kind of uh, the short leashes you see in some of these major uh, power five programs, especially those ones that with the SEC itchy trigger fingers that are out there. And if you're not winning and sustaining that for more than like one down season, if you have uh, one and then another one, you're gone. Um, I do feel like Virginia Tech enjoys a little bit of stability, granted some kind of previous uh, regimes are kind of skew that a little bit when you have a, a Frank Beamer around for almost three decades. That kind of gives the perception of it. But even then, I mean, Coach Fuente got six years uh, uh, on the job, and that was with four of them being, you know, not up to par what we would believe our program should be at. So uh, the other ones are are hitting this a little bit more. So I feel like ACC being down right now, but it necessarily wasn't always down. It always had great teams at the top. Funding and growth is all relative because it depends on who your competition, how well they're funded. Um, and then uh, just the fan base, I feel like that's the one where it, when you had a bunch of even like teams, that one set us apart because I feel like the fan base of Virginia Tech is fantastic. We show up, you don't need a 110,000 seat stadium to be able to you know, show that we are a football school. We can do it with half that pretty much. And uh, it, it leads to some of the best game environments in all of college football. And that's not just me speaking with orange and blue glasses on. That's, you know, every time it comes up on college game day or anything, we're constantly in their top five number one overall entrances places to uh, go on weekends and Saturdays. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll start kind of across the board and see how everyone's kind of 
if you agreed, you disagreed, if you have uh, any other kind of opinions on them of those, but I'd be interested to see what everyone else thought here. Uh, Billy, I'll start with you. Yeah, I guess my, my first question would be, where does the expectation of what Virginia Tech should be fall? So when you think of Virginia Tech and you think of we're hiring a coach to do X, not overachieve, not underachieve, what is mission accomplished, well done, what, where, do you, where do you see that fall on the, uh, on the list in terms of wins and losses? And I hate that. And I think the athletic director hates looking at that, but it's a very real thing. So how does that, how does that kind of equate in your brain? Personally, because it's been precedent to do it here, and we're one of the teams that do it really, really well, I do feel like because of how down the ACC is and with everybody at least having two kind of gimme wins every single year, if not three, uh, and if you are a program that's operating at max efficiency, you are probably likely going to win your, your out-of-conference matchups as well. Uh, so just given the conference slate, those gimme games and the ability to kind of win one or two games, either it be your bowl game or your you know, your beginning of the season game, 10 should not be out of the question. And granted, that's not sustained year over year over year. That has proven to be that that is a very select group that can actually achieve that and sustain that. Uh, but every other year, every other other year, you know, just more frequent than it's happening uh, currently or and has happened in the last 10 years, which has only been one for us. And then prior to that was eight in a row. So um, that would be my expectation because I do believe it's it's Virginia Tech is capable of putting together a team, talented, and well-coached program that can do that. Right. Based on based on this select criteria of Virginia Tech being a top 20 football program we should be able to compete in the atlantic coast conference year over year i'm i'm in agreement with the 10 wins thing um setting that as a standard setting that as expectations but also knowing that some years if we win seven eight nine but knowing that you know every third year is a 10 win season like that will keep most of virginia tech fans happy knowing that we are winning the coastal you know, every other year we're competing for the ACC championship every other year. Um, and, and also, you know, beating Virginia, like Virginia is not a top 20 football program. Um, I, I know they are putting significant amounts of resources into uh, their football program over there, but um, you know, beating your rivals, beating Carolina, beating Miami, beating Virginia um, should definitely, you know, be the standard today tomorrow and yesterday it's kind of a shame in some in some regards because when virginia tech was rolling in the early to mid 2000s feel like we missed an opportunity to really capitalize on that from a from a funding and uh program donation standpoint with the donors right because you look at how some of these powers came to be right like let's, let's just go with clemson for example like Clemson historically as a football program has been fine, but up until a decade ago, nobody was going to sit there and argue with you about whether or not Virginia tech or Clemson had a more historic football program. And the way that Clemson has capitalized on its success is something that I think Virginia tech didn't do. Now I will say this, Virginia Tech didn't win multiple national championships, right? They haven't even won one. They were close, right? Close in 99, very close. Uh, had very competitive teams 
in the in the mid two thousands. You know, teams that were that were competing in the BCS for for a top two spot, a chance at a national championship. But I, I feel like Virginia Tech, from a program funding and donor enthusiasm standpoint, missed the boat when the program was at its peak. Now I think that Witt is doing his best to try to remedy that right with the football enhancement fund and, and getting money back into the program. I mean, that's certainly, certainly the case. And the one thing I will say, and this is kind of independent, this is kind of independent of, of whether or not Virginia Tech's a top 20 program, but I think it's an important moment in the Justin Fuente era that I think we'll be looking back on in 10 or 15 years as a really pivotal, like turning point in the program. And that's when he interviewed at Baylor because when Fuente came back, to Whit Babcock and said, I need this, right? We need this as a program, like to keep moving forward. We need facility upgrades. We need more funding. We need added, you know, added resources on the recruiting staff. It took Fuente almost leaving to kind of make that happen and put that really into motion. And I feel like Virginia Tech is certainly going to be better off for it. Right. And, and we've already started to see see the benefits of that meeting. So that's the one thing I will say, you know, I, I think, you know, I've always thought that Virginia Tech is is in that, you know, 25 to 30 range. Certainly hadn't gone through and kind of thought about all the elements and, and done the research that Chris did. But I have I have no qualms. I mean, I I, I think that all of these things that, that Chris listed here are true. They're backed by numbers. I think Virginia Tech, but at the same time, I think Virginia Tech missed an opportunity there in the early to mid 2000s. But I think that it's getting better now. And I think Fuente's meeting with Baylor has a lot to do with it. I'm glad you brought that up um, because Pat, myself, and other people, we've butted heads a lot because the history of Virginia Tech is so rich. The expectations from Virginia Tech are so high. And then when you see, and we've, as we talked about it, and it has been addressed since. You interview the interview with Yetzi or just going down and breaking through the numbers, seeing teams like Pittsburgh or Virginia or some of these other ACC foes having more people on staff, having better situations. But the expectation is still Virginia Tech beats North Carolina, Virginia Tech beats Pittsburgh, which should be the case. I think if you want to take a positive away from the Fuente era, I think that is by far one of the biggest ones that you can possibly pick. So, Chris, Bob, put on his Bob Ross cap, painted the picture. What are What is a coach looking for in Virginia Tech? What does Virginia Tech have to offer? Now, we're all going to pick up our paintbrushes, and we're going to determine what is Virginia Tech as an administration and a fan base looking for in their coach and thank goodness, golly gracious, Pat is about to walk us down line by line the checklist given to us by Mr. Babcock on his presser. And we'll comment on each, so we'll go one by one and just talk through them. But, Pat, take it away. Yeah, and this was one of the the better kind of nuggets that were gleaned from this presser last week from Whit Babcock. Okay, so it starts out with a proven track record of success. I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. Someone who has won football games, someone who has succeeded, uh, you know, whether they're a, a coordinator in Power Five or a head coach in G Five, someone that has a track win, uh, track record of winning. I don't think we need to really dissect that one. A coach that fits the values of Virginia Tech and what we stand for. Okay, 
this one. Let's double click on this one because I think we kind of understand what this is now after a JC Price press conference on Thursday. And kind of just to, you know, if you want to compare the last six years of Coach Fuente and then, you know, one press conference of JC Price, don't want to go down that road too much, but it was clearly evident as far as JC Price is a guy, you know, a company guy, a guy who is, you know, wearing his heart and passion for Virginia Tech on his sleeve. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to find that in a coach um, in this market right now, you know, unless Shane Beamer says, hey, I'm going to leave this uh, this fun party at South Carolina and come north. Can I just um, can I just say that that that's unequivocally not happening? So yeah. anybody, not hap- no shot. Anybody, not anybody hold on hold for that. That is not happening. I do less than zero percent chance. Less than zero percent chance that happens. And you know what? Less than zero. I don't know why. I, like even if I don't think it's happening on either end. I don't know why you'd want him to do that. He's doing great things in South Carolina. We're happy for we're happy for Shane. We're happy and we don't him. we also and I know we'll dive into this later. So I want to just harp on this, but. We also don't know if Shane wants the job at Virginia Tech, right? Like, does he want to coach in his father's shadow? His father built the program. Does, does he want to? His, uh, his, uh, his uh, statue's right outside. It's Beamer unbelievable. Way. Yeah. yeah. Beamer it's way. Cool. Yeah, exactly. This, Look, anyway. The one thing that stood out to me with this one, and I don't think that I'm eliminating him. I just think a lot of people are really fired up about this person. And the guy does have skeletons in his closet. Look, our guy, Hugh Freeze did some really questionable things at Ole Miss. I am wearing an Ole Miss Rebels hat right now. So the one thing that I will say. And before and before, before everyone freaks out about this, Billy Ray's dad played at Ole Miss. Thank you. Thank um, you. This, is, you know, this isn't like him wearing the Duke jersey. That was, right. that was unex- inexcusable. That was preposterous. That was right. Preposterous. That, was ludicrous, that was ludicrous crap. That's on me. Um, <laughs> what I will say is there are two things are true at the same time. If you ask Ole Miss fans, was it worth cheating to win as much as we won those three, three-ish years, beating Alabama, being number one or number two in the country? Every Ole Miss fan is going to tell you, hell yeah, brother, it was worth it. The thing is, Ole Miss is not going to consistently win the SEC. Can they win the SEC here and there, maybe once or twice? It's certainly possible, but they're never going to do that consistently. I think if you're looking for lightning in a bottle, that's you freeze. If you're looking to consistently win the ACC and build a program that is competing and constantly being mentioned, you're not going to be able to do that with his track record and what he's done. Mike, you're shaking your head. Yes, I probably didn't do a great job. Uh, uh, no, you're on. Make me sound smarter. Go, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead, Chris. Well, Mike's about to be serious. I'm about to be extremely non-serious. I think this should be the coach that has the complete lack of values, which Hugh Freeze <laughs> can then go out and get Bobby Petrino as his offensive coordinator who's lighting up in Missouri State. Uh, I think Galen Scott is the defensive coordinator or linebacker's coach for uh, Billy Napier. On his Napier. Just pull them all together. Just bring a nexus of debauchery. It'll be like Las Vegas and Blacksburg every single night. It'll be fantastic. We'll win a ton of games, get NCAA sanctioned in like five games, but it'll be 100%. What was that, Billy Ray? 100% worth it. <laughs> right. It'd be worth it. And then we can become a basketball school when the football program gets a 20-year death penalty. Mike, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that? I, I just don't think that the Hugh Freeze model that everyone is pointing to at Ole Miss is sustainable at a place like Virginia Tech or anywhere. 
he's winning at Liberty. I mean, he I don't think, look, my, my whole, my whole thing is like, and I did a, I did a tweet thread on this last week. Like if it was anywhere else, like if it was any other school, really like on a like in-state level that is kind of looking for a guy to spice things up, like maybe you go that route because look, I mean, Hugh Freeze did some did some questionable stuff at Ole Miss, right? The recruiting violations with Laramie Tunsil were no joke. And then on top of that, you had the, you know, work phone having numbers coming in from call girls, right? So tens not of great. thousands of dollars of jewelry on DK Metcalf's wrist on his official visit. I mean, right? It was right. a laundry list. Right. And the, the call girl thing didn't result in any sort of NCAA sanctions though. So I want to like make that clear. Like I'm not going to call this guy that like a, a beacon of morality. Like let's not get that twisted. I'm, I'm definitely not saying that, but he's six years removed from NCAA sanctions, right? Like we've seen, we have seen coaches go from one program to another, make mistakes and then be successful elsewhere. My whole thing is at Virginia Tech, I don't think Tim Sands is signing off on that. <laughs> like, I just don't think it's realistic. I think from an on-field standpoint, it's it's very realistic. Like, I, I think I could see that, right, on-field. Off the field, when you add in everything else, which you have to, because, the, the, you know, there's so many elements to being a head coach other than just on-field, like, in-game management, as we saw. I mean, that was an issue with this past staff that everything else was a problem, too. Um there's so much that goes into it, right? Like awesome. everybody's talking about CEO and we'll, we'll get into that later too. But like, there's so much that goes into being a head football coach at a power five school like Virginia tech. And I don't think Hugh freeze can check those other boxes, but as far as on field and like, can it work with, with what he does on the field and managing a game? Yeah, absolutely. I'll say this in my single recruiting visit to Ole Miss, he could literally, you want to talk about actually selling ice to an Eskimo. I mean, this guy checked all the boxes. We walk into the offensive line room, and he's got Bibles on every desk. And he's telling my mom, here at Ole Miss, our faith is extremely important. I mean, this guy, this guy is a recruiting guru. He will come in here and recruit well. I just don't see that happening. So we'll move on to the next, uh, we'll move on to the next checkbox here. <laughs> all right, this next one, a coach that will engage the community successfully, locally, and beyond. Can I? I, when he said this, I almost viewed it as a, we need the opposite of what our PR and engagement with the coaching staff was from the previous regime, which really not Fuente right, is yes, what they're asking I, for there, which, which I agree with, which I think is, is, is a checkbox. Um, does anybody else have any comments on that? I think it was just like, look, Hokie nation, you guys are feeling a little lonely. You need somebody that's going to give you a hug. That's See what we just did? Let's never do that again <laughs> from a PR standpoint. Yes. This was yeah. word vomit that filled in a list amongst much more important attributes in a coach. That was my own personal take on this. One, so. <laughs> yeah, I agree. This is how can we get Mike Young, you know, standing out in front of Han Hurst on game day, shaking hands and kissing babies. That's that's essentially what this is, which is something that a lot of people do want. Is it the most important thing, as Chris just alluded to? No, the most important thing is winning. But it helps. A coach that does that is usually better at recruiting and is usually better at building 
a community because that's what we want. That's what we do want. We want to feel like that we are connected to the football team. And and even though, um, you know, this could, could be described as, you know, word vomit, a lot of this has to do with the alumni community of the football program as well, which so many alumni football players over the past six years have expressed their lack of connectivity and connectedness to the program. And I know that that's been one of the bigger priorities uh, this year, as far as re-engaging that and building that, you know, Dwight Vick is, is one of the, the, uh, the folks spearheading that getting guys on zoom calls and whatnot, and making sure that guys are coming back to to town. Um, But that's going to be important too, because every single one of them, I, I, I saw a, uh, a snippet off of the, the Vic podcast um, with Dwight and Mike and they had Todd Washington on and his main thing was just like, Hey, we want to feel like we are a part of it. Like we're not asking for free tickets. We're not asking for gear. We just want to be able to come back and, and walk around and feel like it's home. And uh, that's that, that part will be very important, you know, moving forward. I would yeah. absolutely love free tickets and gear. So I'm just going to throw that out there as like a, like a segue into the next attribute, but totally up for grabs. You can pay me off. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, uh, I think one thing is whether at the end of the day, you buy the ability to be whatever personality you want to be. If you win football games, that's why, you know, a lot of people like to say, well, Nick Saban doesn't do that. Well, Nick Saban wins multiple national championships and Nick Saban wins his conference every single year. He can do whatever he wants. He can show up to work in board shorts and a clown shirt every single day. He can do whatever he wants. Um, I think what's important to realize, and Pat, I'm glad you you mentioned this, was there was a conscientious effort to try to fix it, but the ship had kind of already sailed. Those relationships were very splintered, very damaged. Um, we brought people in to help out with that um, as part of kind of the staff revamp and getting more positions and more money, which is important. We just have to continue that and do that with the next staff to make sure that uh, we get off on the right foot moving forward here. Yeah. I agree. I feel like what they were doing going into the season, because even though it was year six and everybody was fed up from how the offseason went last season, that got wiped away by a lot of people, uh, just kind of the more of the general fan, not the people who were just 100 percent in the fire Fuente uh, corner. But, you know, there there was buy in. People were looking because they were just doing more promo videos they were doing more interviews. They were releasing more people to the public. They were doing those ACC network kind of exposés on people. So just do that at the onset and you'll be fine. That, that, yeah. That's really yeah. it. Yeah, don't don't have to play PR damage control in year six. You can do that from year one this time. All right. So this next one, this is a big, a big time subject. We we're My chatting favorite. <laughs> a leader, a CEO that has character and competence. Chris Himes, what is a CEO in college football? Private sector. Chris, yeah, private sector, just, baby. This is the thing that gets to me all the time because I hear the word CEO thrown by a bunch of different coaching types and literally none of them are, are like a CEO of what I would define that to be. And that is somebody who is just 100% capable of hiring and firing people, holding them accountable and making the organization accountable through that kind of sole ability to be like, you will be gone or get better. And oh, by the way, I hired you because you were amazing at your job and now you're doing a really good job here and the person who can do more of the former rather than the latter that's a ceo type not a cheerleader not somebody who's just going to sit back and do like the coach o type thing where i'm just gonna you know 
uh, say a bunch of like Louisiana Ragin' Cajun kind of style uh, little paraphrases here and there and piss off the UCLA fan base walking into the stadium. Like that's not a CEO type to me. Dabo Swinney, not kind of like a CEO type. He's more like a cheerleader. Even like what you would think about Shane Beamer, like he was he was deemed to be the CEO type. He was going to need to hire really highly competent uh, staff to be able to kind of compensate for some of his lack of head coaching experience. But um, to me, the CEO type is Nick Saban. Like that is that is the beacon of what a CEO coach is, in my opinion. And so what I look at at the possible candidates that whittles that list down. If this is number one on the list, that list gets chopped almost all the way through to like maybe like one or two people, if even that. So CEO type is, is a common misperception uh, amongst the Hokie fan base right now. At least that's my opinion. I don't know about you guys. I, I think, I think fans put coaches into two buckets. You can either coach ball, right? You're an X's and O's coach or you're a CEO type because like, if you're not like the X's and O's, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, like, I'm going to scheme you to death, right? Uh, Lincoln Riley offensively, right? Same deal. Like if you're not the X's and O's guy, that's going to scheme you to death. That means you must not know football then at all. And you must hire like an entire staff of people who know what they're doing, right? People put them into two buckets. And Chris, I agree with you. Like, why can't it be both, right? Why can't you have a guy who can coach ball, but then also hire and fire people a la Brian Kelly, a la Nick Saban, like, Nobody's going to mistake Brian Kelly as a guy who's not a CEO type. He literally had something he thought was working, totally reinvented himself, said, you know what? I got to fire everybody after 2016. He did that, right? And now they're on this. They're going to win 11 games this year. This is a rebuild year. They're going to win 11, right? Nick Saban had a team, to, to your point, Chris, like with the Saban example, had a team that was historically really solid defensively, really good at running the football, right? They would line up pro style, run the football, like basically what Kirby Smart's doing in Georgia, right? He would just do that a billion times. We're going to run at you 40 times out of single back, eye formation, whatever. And then Nick Saban said, you know what? The game's changing. Now we're operating out of the spread. And now I'm going to, I'm going to throw two at you. I'm going to throw Blake Sims at you. I'm going to throw Mac Jones at you. I'm going to throw Jalen Hurts at you. Like he totally evolved the way that he coached, right? Like, why can't that be CEO too? Because it's on field, right? It's, that's X's and O's. Like, why can't it be both? So it drives me crazy too. Not to mention just the, what, what to me has been so impressive of <clears throat> one of the things that's been so impressive about Coach Saban's time at Alabama is so many times you'd have this conversation where like, remember when Kirby Smart left and everybody's like, oh man, like that Alabama defense, I have no idea how they're going to reload. Or Lane Kiffin leaves and it's like, oh man, how's Alabama going to score points? He's consistently done a good job of vetting the next person that's coming in or finding out that somebody's not working out and going and get someone else. I mean, his due diligence to find a guy like Holman Wiggins on our staff who recruited really well, brought in guys like Trey Turner, uh, worked with guys like Cam Phillips in his, in his last two years, Isaiah Ford his last year, bring him into Alabama, and he's developed guys like Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, like all of these just studs at Alabama. Um, and he's done that year in and year out because those guys are getting hired away. Those guys are getting other opportunities. Um, his ability to identify talent, not just on the field and recruit talent on the field, but hire and recruit talent with headsets. That was actually pretty good. I didn't know how I was going to wrap up that sentence, but it came together pretty nicely at the end. Uh, Pat, what do we have next? I was just going to finish that up saying that, you know, aside from the CEO, I think the way that this was worded, a leader 
and a CEO that has character and competence. I think two words stand out there, leader and character. We, we want someone that the fan base can relate to that the fan base is going to want to see as a figure. That's an important figure in, in, in their lives, as I said on, in our, in our last episode. Um, but someone that the fan base can instill their own confidence in as well. And that has care. I guess, I guess I'm looking at character more so as, you know, personality, but I, you know, there shouldn't be any doubt of who is our coach. Cause I feel like we spent so much time just trying to figure out who is coach Fuente. And it was a difficult thing that if you weren't on the inside of the program, you really didn't know who coach Fuente was that well. Um, so I think, I think from that aspect, I'm, I'm kind of mixing words with character and personality, but um, I think that ultimately is important as well. It's not the most important thing. Bill's got something to say. What's up? Yeah. Can I just add one thing? What I don't want, what I don't like, I either want somebody that is stoic and gets the job done or somebody who's actually themselves. I don't want James Franklin. I don't want uh, Dan Mullen. Some of these people who just pander to kind of be this used car salesman type person. I don't think that fits. I think um, I'm not sure if you guys know what I'm talking about, but with, with coach, do you know what yeah. I mean? Pat? Yeah, like, 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 uh, the pandering salesman is more Franklin. I think Mullen, you're more of like the smarmy kind of like I'm the uh, uber analytical guy and I just know more than you. So my approach to the game is just meta level beyond your comprehension and understanding. Even though we lost, uh, we, we still had all of these reasons of why we should have won, uh, even though we just, you know, barely beat Sanford and, and lost to Missouri. So we're going to celebrate this victory. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, like, like, like Mike Leach is a perfect example. Like, people are like, Mike Leach is weird. Like, this guy is weird. I promise he's not pretending to be weird. He's just himself. <laughs> it's like that's that's why so many people love Mike Leach. Um, so yeah, I don't want to bring someone in who 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 has fake juice. If they're gonna have juice, great. Just make it authentic. Be an mm-hmm. authentic human being. All right, next one. A leader. Sorry, a teacher and an educator that's committed to the total student athlete experience. And what it develops in young people. Sounds like he took the, it sounds like he just took like what Coach Fuente said we were going to be and instilled it into the next coaching profile. The best developmental, um, get you ready for the next phase of your life program in America. And I think this fits to what, how we're going to recruit. I'm getting so tired of every time Travion Henderson makes an incredible play, people are calling it a miss that Travion Henderson went to Ohio State. The fact of the matter is Virginia Tech is not going to annually land the players in Virginia like Travion Henderson. That is not going to happen. I don't care who is coaching our football team. For us to be the best version of Virginia Tech, we are going to have to get talented guys in the door a la Malachi, Malachi Thomas, Ramon Brown, some of these guys in the state of Virginia. We can't go 0 for 10 on the top 10 players in Virginia. That can't happen. Um, but when we get them in the door, we have to make sure that we maximize their talent, we maximize their abilities, and we're making sure that they're ready to contribute when the time comes. That's right. how I kind of saw that. I feel like this is almost a category. It kind of bleeds into a couple of these different attributes that it's like, there is some of this that falls on the shoulders of the head coach in terms of just having him being kind of like the key figure in their daily life over their four to five years in college, because they're with him so much. And he's probably going to have a lot of influence, kind of like your favorite professor or something like that. Uh, but this is something that also bleeds in just the, the, the 
student experience at Virginia Tech in and of itself. And, and those should have some blurred lines a little bit because you are kind of being encompassed in this overall kind of student body experience as well. So um, it, as long as they are just providing that mentorship, providing that kind of, I guess in this case, like uh, like a community amongst their kind of smaller group and organization within the school and having it not be this, you know, uh, apparently eating lunch in silence at tables while you stare at each other. I don't know what anecdote that was about the program that I heard recently, but that was one of the more interesting ones. Um, but just, just, you know, kind of um, tapping in to being able to just have that family community type experience in school, which I feel like every coach is trying to do that. I don't feel like you go to a, a program and every coach is like, you know what, I'm going to make it suck for you here four years and get ready for that. So like, this is another one. This is like that feathery kind of fluffy type language. Uh, the next one about recruiting, what Billy alluded to, that to me is once more is something what I kind of alluded to in the article is is somebody who has the vision to be able to lock down the state. When I mean lock down the state, kind of like what uh, Billy Ray just alluded to, not every single player, but kind of what Mac Brown is doing at North Carolina right now. And one tidbit I heard from a previous anecdote, I think it was uh, from uh, Barry Alvarez, uh, the once former coach of Wisconsin, now kind of the AD out there. Um, it's paramount that you secure and control in-state recruiting. That's like the number one thing. So whoever is defining the vision of how they can get the most amount of Virginia's talent, of which we now know needs to be kind of, you know, top 10-ish in terms of overall state-level talent. If you do that enough, and you'll have a few misses, but if you do that enough, like you're, you will then have top 15-level classes. And this is something to where a lot of fans look at back in the Beamer days and they say, oh, you know, we were always consistently in the kind of either really high teens or low 20s or somewhere in the mid 20s. Um, and that is the benchmark. Well, no, that also might mean that they might have been underperforming a little bit and they weren't necessarily always hitting into uh, the, the tapping into what Virginia Tech could have become. They kind of fell short a little bit as well. So someone needs to be able to come in and actually take that little tidbit and grow it and expand it and then secure it as Virginia Tech should be the number one state school that secures the most amount of Virginia talent. And because that talent is where it is, that includes to, excuse me, that means top 15 level classes. That's the vision I want to hear from the next coach. Chris. I love that. That was well Chris, stated. <laughs> Chris, Chris is just I have on. nothing to add there. Yeah, yeah. I have nothing to add. There. That was a perfectly, thousand perfectly articulated. If you will. <laughs> that was that was very well done, Chris. Um, yes, recruiting is extremely important. Development is extremely important. You know, can we bring a guy like Devin Hunter into the program from Virginia? Yes. Can we develop that guy and make sure that you know he's one of the highest recruits we have ever gotten? Can we make sure he gets to the next level? That those are two very important things to do. You do one, you got to do the other. Um, any other notes on recruiting guys before we move over to the next one? I mean, just don't finish dead last in the power five at any point in your tenure. Just don't have well, that happen. To, to me, it kind of alluded to the fact that it's kind of like what you and you go back to the Rorschach test of Virginia Tech. If you think you and your staff in this program should be reaching down and constantly aiming low to to drudge up what you think to be kind of diamonds in the rough, that's a failing strategy. Uh, yeah. You, you need to be able to tap into that top level talent. You're like, I said, you're not going to hit all of it, but you should be able to get a lot 
of it from our state. And that's where you should be aiming. You should be able to aim at that peak level. So I want a coach that has that, like, we're going to exceed prior uh, years. And obviously <laughs> that's probably not a high bar to clear from the last six years, but even during the Beamer eras as well, that, 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 that should be the new benchmark. We should be, we should be tapping into that top level talent, Virginia, because it is capable where football enhancement fund. Like I think the number one or number two bullet point on what they're trying to do is to build out recruiting staff, to be able to fund the proper amount of people that can be, I guess, in this case, activated into a strategy defined by that new head coach. So it's just, just go get it done. We're going to give you the money, get it done, sell weight on the vision. And hopefully in the next two years, we go from being where we are right now to a top 15 type class program. Fans have different ideas as far as like what the, what the peak is and maybe like what the aspirations should be or like what it should look like, but we know what it shouldn't look like. Right. So better, better than now, better than now. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even even like uh, just looking at that one article that came out last week about the Richmond area and how, you know, there are some bridges that need to be rebuilt and restored in Richmond, for example. Think about how much talent comes out of the 804 region every single year. You know, that's going up to Penn State, that's going down to Clemson, that's going to South Carolina, um, you know, and other programs. So I think just starting from scratch with a lot of relevant high school uh, programs around the state of Virginia is going to be super, super important. Um, okay. Next one. We got two more here. A coach who can do player evaluation, player development, and hires a complimentary staff around him. Seems. So just bring in a good staff, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that's what it is. That's what some of those other ones, but the staff aspect is the biggest part. Um, and this kind of factors back into that CEO one. So a lot of these kind of tie together. I, I see what you're doing with your, 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 your well-structured and your bullet points here, but this, the staff is the biggest one. These are the people, and I don't mean staff in like on-field coaching staff. I'm talking about the entire operation, you know, all of the GAs that you could possibly get, all of the analysts, everybody on the player development side, the whole thing, you know, everybody should be going into work every single day, knowing, what their job is and who they're looking for defined by the vision that's kind of set at the top and coming down. So the fact that we were always seemingly like changing what we were trying to do on the fly year to year was always kind of interesting that we were going to be, Oh, year one NC to VT. Now we're Texas to VT. Oh, we're reaching down to Detroit. Oh no, we're going back into Virginia. It was just this kind of like convoluted, like what's next, you know, like define what you want, what you need to do, set your staff and let them do their jobs. And that's kind of usually the best type of CEO is, is you hire the right people that when you tell them like just like a little bit what needs to be done or a lot bit, but just kind of define it and then just let really good hired people do what they need to do to get the job done, things tend to work out. And that's where I factor this into is just hire a great staff. Easier less, said than done, I guess. But Less helter-skelter. I actually think we missed, we missed something on here. Um, and I don't know how you say this in there's coach speak athletic director speak doesn't sound as clear and concise, but in athletic director speak, I don't know how you say roster management, not making Virginia tech the uh, now look, I've said it before. I still stand by this. I think Virginia tech Hendon hooker is the massive outlier and a large reason <clears throat> why we are where we are. We can talk about that on another podcast. Um, I think we've done well on the transfer portal but just constantly having to wonder about, okay, who's coming in, who's going out. I know that's the reality. It just has been 
mismanaged at certain points. Uh, and I think this year was the first one who we really, really saw it hurt both on the offensive line at the quarterback position. Uh, it's just been really mismanaged. Um, and I think that kind of factors in. If, if I could add one thing to this checkbox, it would be roster management. But that probably goes along with recruiting and it might go along with uh, player evaluation. Um, but uh, relationship building with current team, you know, however you want to put it. And all of it comes under the umbrella of having a plan and sticking to it, as Chris alluded to there. Um, last one. And this one's kind of, I think this one's AD speak as well. A coach that is comfortable in the paradigm of being at the top of the ACC. It was like, I got to find a way to tie this all together. And I'm just going to throw these words onto a piece of paper. I, I don't I even think know what that means. Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know. Here would yeah. be my aspect of that. And this is kind of what I would look at. And I, I wrote a very short sentence in the week ACC. And I don't mean that the team suck. But if you look at the ACC coaches, look at your competition as a coach. How many coaches are you really genuinely scared of? If you're like an elite guy coming in and being like, oh, man, I need to outcoach that guy. There's not many. I, I would be fairly confident if I was like a really solid head coach coming in knowing that my my job is to be coaches that I know that I'm better than overall. So like being comfortable, the paradigm of being at the top of the ACC, being comfortable against that level of com- competition, that's kind of what it meant to me. Uh, I don't know about all of you, but if I was a coach and I'm speaking through the lens of a coach here, that's how I would take it. And I would be very comfortable if I was good looking at the ACC level of coaching right now, because I knew that if I was pretty good, I, I could get the job done. I thought this was kind of, I thought this was kind of silly. Um, the last point I thought it was like, it, to me, it came off very much as like when you're on a fifth grade field trip and the people that meet you at the door are like, who's ready to have fun? It's like, who's ready to hire someone that's going to win this conference? I just, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of a built in expectation. You know how you're like writing a report? <laughs> what an you analogy. Can't, you, you, you can't think of a conclusion, so you just make something up. That's kind of what this came across as. This was like filler at the very bottom of it. Oh, I had 450 words I needed for 500 words here. Oh, I'll just put, you know. I'm going to put this in one of like a future or, or memo or something like that. Like you have to be comfortable with the, being at the, the paradigm of being at the top of this organization. Are you, you see how it goes? <laughs> Are you ready to win? Um, so yeah, I, I mean, look, I have no problems with the list at the end of the day. We're about to do this segment and talk about a couple of names, but here, here's the deal. No amount of Wikipedia page surfing no amount of talking to players who were recruited by this coach and how did you feel? Was he cool? No amount of that research is going to be able to answer these questions. It quite frankly comes down to Mr. Babcock's going to sit in a chair. Coaching candidate is going to sit in a chair and it's whether wit can identify these qualities in that person sitting in that chair, because there's no way I love seeing people um, and I'm guilty of it too. I do it all. I, I do it uh, going on and saying, okay, I need a good recruiter. Well, Hey, this guy was, a, you know, back in 2004, this guy was a, a special assistant to the GA at South Carolina state. So he's familiar with recruiting that territory. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. And at the end of the day, we can want all the things that we want, but at the end of the day, the guy just has to win. That's, that's what it comes down to. We have to find somebody who's able to win and by winning, you will capture the hearts and the minds and the love of everybody who loves Virginia Tech football. That's the de- that's the deal. That's the mission. That's the objective. That's the MO. After setting that table, 
let's have the completely irrelevant conversation around some of the names that we do like now um because that's fun and it's a fun exercise and we're gonna go through it together so pat why don't you uh why don't you tee it off here okay so i think the best way that we can do this there's a lot of names out there but there's probably been 15 to 20 names that have been tossed around the internet over the past month or so in regards to the virginia tech coaching search based on this criteria that we've talked about today uh, there are going to be some folks that might be a better fit than others just based on, you know, the resumes and what we know. Um, but I think we should probably just start it out with a, a few names that are probably, you know, if you have them on your list, take out your eraser and, and uh, you know, erase them off of your list. Cross them out. I would cross it out in pencil because who the hell knows what's going to happen? <laughs> Gary but, Patterson. But you haven't said the names yet. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't see that happening. Oh, Chris, you're on mute. Chris oh, I was going to say, uh, that's, excited. That, that was the sound of Gary Patterson crossing his own name off the list right now. We, we can just guarantee <laughs> that that is not going to happen. Sorry. He's, just... he's, been, he's been vocal about not liking and enjoying coaching in the NIL name image likeness era. So I, yeah. I, think, we're, I think we're done with Gary Patterson. As a, yeah, he, as he's going to retire somewhere coach. in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, probably. Yeah, agree. It was funny because I think, I think during uh, on Tuesday or, or maybe Wednesday, when all the news came out, it was a CBS sports article that came out and said that Gary Patterson was one of the top three names like listed. And it's just like, who wrote this article? You know, like what, what? like, what is that even like? I, I just, I don't know what that means. Listed on what? List, listed by the experts, Billy, the experts, <laughs> of course. Uh, another no that we can kind of just throw out there. I know a lot. Okay. And maybe we should just put this to bed or, or try to, you know, sing them a lullaby right now. Just because someone played at Virginia Tech and is coaching somewhere does not mean that they need to be the head coach at Virginia Tech. Um, and this goes for, you know, more than just a coordinator level. Um, you know, I, Lauren Johnson is not going to be the, the head coach at Virginia Tech. Not now. Maybe one day. You know, he's currently a high school head football coach. Um, but the name I'm going to talk about next is Todd Grantham. Todd Grantham was just fired two weeks ago as the defensive coordinator at Florida. Mike, can I, can I say something wit for the love of God? Don't. <laughs> Thank wow. you. Passionate. Can you tell Grant- I don't think there's anybody you have to sell on. No. Why, why is this the, uh, for the love of God? No, Mike. Florida's defense for the last two years has been horrendous, horrendous. Like, remember how mad, okay, just let's take a step back. Remember in 2020, how mad Virginia tech fans were because our defense was wasting a really good running back in Khalil Herbert, one that we hadn't had in like a decade. Remember how mad the fan base was. Imagine that guy now running your program. Okay. That's it. Thank you. You unsold me. Yeah, I wasn't even considering it though. I never, I never thought either one of those were a realistic uh, option. This third one, lots of people think is a realistic option. Um, Pat, and we already talked about this, but Shane Beamer is. I mean, he came out to the media last week or two weeks ago and was like, "It could not have been more firm of how he was like, I'm not going to Virginia Tech. I am, I am here. This is my dream job. I said it was my dream job. Now, yeah, do coaches." 
do that when they're asked that question? Like, yes, all the time. You know, James Franklin said last week that he's not going anywhere either. But at this point, like Shane Beamer was born and raised in South Carolina. He loves he loves the state of South Carolina. You know, he's been raising his kids. That's like where his kids were born. Um, like, it would what, makes people, what, what makes people think that Shane wants to come coach at Tech? Because, because he's a Beamer, right? That's it. Well, that's ultimately the thing that gets me is that South Carolina actually gave him the shot when everyone was telling him he couldn't because he was always like the associate head coach or the associate of this and never really kind of a coordinator or anything else. And it was seen as like a huge risk. They took a huge risk. They got him and he's bowl eligible in year one. So I just don't see his, for talking about all these values, him just giving, you know, the middle finger to the entire, uh, you know, Columbia population, South Carolina fan base and just turning on a run and then running to, to Virginia tech at the, the one school that doesn't make sense. It. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think the biggest thing with that too, is it's more of a revisionist history thing or like a damn, I wish we would have offered him the job after 2020, but we didn't, you know, we, we weren't ready to move on from coach Fuente after 2020. And that probably would have been the time and we don't know if Shane was offered the job. It sounded like he wasn't, obviously, because Coach Fuente was not relieved of his duties after 2020. Um, and that's kind of just a more of a what if, a what could have been, a who knows. But it's kind of something that, you know, it's just not going to happen right now. Yeah, And also, uh, it's, it's also a, a fool's game to take somebody's results at another place and assume that they would be replicated here. Like, I don't think te- I don't think Hendon Hooker is a top ten quarterback in college football at Virginia Tech running the offense that we ran this year. I mean, agree. Does anybody else agree? No, I agree. The the thing too is like, there's only a handful of coaches that we've seen go from one power program to another and have the same or higher level of success. And all those guys are like top 10 coaches of all time. Like <laughs> Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, mm-hmm. Saban, obviously. Dabo's, I mean, Dabo's now won multiple championships at Clemson. We've never seen him in another school. But like, I, I don't think, and some people might disagree, but like, I think Dabo could take his model, go elsewhere and do the exact same thing. So, I mean, it takes a certain class of coach to kind of be in that category. All right, guys. So next on the list. We already talked about Hugh Freeze a little bit, so we can cross that out. We can, we're not going to cross it out. We'll, right, we'll, right. we'll, we'll, we'll write it very lightly in pencil. If he's my coach, if he's the coach, Let's he's go. getting hashtag my coach. Like I, 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 that's why I think I think so many people do this exercise of man. There's no way we can bring David Clawson in here. And it's like, well, if David Clawson is hired, I'm going to get behind David Clawson, and hopefully he wins here. But there's so much of this no way Jose no chance in France like I like stop like it has like there are there are different dialects of of country kind of southern accents but we got to get you there's there there's I know regional Mississippi there's a southwest Virginia you know the fancy gap Frank drawl that's kind of in there so we got to start getting you up to speed a little bit but I do like it it's good it's like the uh you know the the guy who tries to do the Boston accent it's just the one guy and that should that should take offense to you come on you're you're a Boston fan guy I'm that guy who's usually faking the accent. Um, but no, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, none of us are really going to know who's going to work until we start 
playing the games. No amount of Wikipedia research, as I said before, no amount of Wikipedia research you do before, or, hey, I saw this video of him at a clinic. Would you want to play for this guy? Like, you know, it just, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. Everybody was fired up about Willie Taggart until they started swag surfing and he got ran out of town in two weeks or two uh, in a couple of months. So, you know, you never really know until you take the field. I always try to just as like, uh, like a caveat to all this, avoid people with slogany schemes that they try to win. So lethal simplicity for Willie Taggart or whatever uh, kind of like we're probably going to talk about, but like Jamie Chowell is basically who has like, do I have the, I'm, I'm selling this offense to you. I got this used car on the lot. It's great. I can't wait to employ this. I, those people kind of give Club me lit. like, yeah, yeah. Club lit. Yeah. Just things like that. Like, come on. Like, which one, really... which one is, which one is hashtag do something. That was Florida state. That was Willie Taggart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just do something. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. With yeah. the Martin Luther King. Uh, that was, that was rough. That was a rough day <laughs> at the marketing department. Beat UVA. My favorite was beat UVA or no beat tech in the bathroom. That's one of the best ones, dude. I'm going to be honest. I mean, can we put, I don't know if he's on this list. I'm actually a Bronco Mendenhall truther. I think he's done a great job at UVA. I'm not saying he's the guy for this job, but I'm not, I'm not angry at him for his slogans. Whatever he's doing at UVA is, 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 is working out. I mean, well, apparently what he's doing, he's, he's doing it in the bathroom. So there you go. Thanks Bronco. (laughs) Yeah, he has he has a good he has a good quarterback. That's about it. Um, but that is important. We have not had uh, our, our coaches. I mean, we are not, not we are not going to act like he hasn't completely turned that program around in the time that he's been there. It's not just a good quarterback. He's he's done some very impressive things at the University of Virginia in a very short time frame. All right, we're going to move on from that. Um, <laughs> you're just going to. It's you. I don't. You're singing the praises of Bronco Mendenhall. Yeah, when do that? Like until after next Saturday, you you know, we play them this week. Like this is hate week. You know, this is not the sons of Charlottesville. Oh, you're right. So we play them. So I should just not talk truth about Bronco. Bronco's a good coach. We're coaches. I still want to beat him. You were singing his praises on the sons of Charlottesville. You were singing singing his praises on the, uh, on the, on the Twitter space a few nights ago. I'm just, you know, a little too much, a little too much happy, uh, Happy gas for Bronco right now. I can't, I just can't take it. Well, so maybe that's my fault. It probably is. <laughs> Billy <laughs> Napier, guys, is Billy Napier the number one target for Virginia Tech as it stands right now? It's number one for the fans, right? Like he's the hot <laughs> name. It well, feels like everybody in college football, all the national writers said, yeah, Billy Napier, Billy Napier, Billy Napier, Billy Napier. I was talking to Chris about this before we hit record. Doesn't Billy Napier seem a little too obvious? And there are so many big jobs open now too, right? You got, th- think about all the jobs that are open that Billy Napier is likely going to be getting a look from, right? LSU, obviously. TCU. Florida just opened today. Tech, right? So that's that's four really good football programs right there that are all going to take a look at Billy Napier and have him near the top of their list, right? Now, LSU is the one where I'm not sure he's their top choice. I don't know who their top choice is, but I think if it was Billy Napier, we wouldn't known that already. And that's the thing, too. Is Whit Babcock going to wait around for Billy Napier to make a decision while all these other coaches go and, and take interviews elsewhere and, and start kind of falling into place at, at a Florida or at an SMU? You know, Sonny Dykes were to leave or... 
you, you we know the USC jobs open, but you know how many Virginia Tech candidates are are, are going to be looking at realistic Virginia Tech candidates going to be looking at USC, right? We'll talk about how realistic a guy like Luke Fickle is, but Luke Fickle's the only one that can come to my mind that would be like Virginia Tech will definitely look at him. Also, USC will, right? Um, that USC job is so far is so far kind of out of the stratosphere, not from a, a ranking standpoint. USC's job is definitely better than Virginia Tech's. My thing is like, it's a different pool of candidates for that school, right? So I just think Napier seems a little too obvious. I feel like there are too many big jobs now. And I feel like if Tech wanted Billy Napier, they would have done it a year ago. They could have pulled the trigger a year ago. And I know there's extenuating circumstances with COVID and all that, but I'm just thinking this through seems a little too obvious to me to be fair billy napier literally an a plus on the wikipedia quick quick search on his wikipedia 38 and 12 head coaching record he has coached at clemson as a tight ending uh tight ends coach and an rc is that recruiting coordinator run game coordinator um, Clemson offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, South Carolina state quarterback coach, GA to Clemson in early 2003. And he has time in Alabama under coach, uh, under coach Saban. So he passes the Wikipedia test, um, and has done a really good job at Louisiana. Um, but yeah, Mike, Mike, it's, it's kind of like he is the, I think it's Napier or bust for about 75% of this fan base. Well, I just want to throw it out there, too, because I did actually do some deep dives on this. And I'm not going to say he's like my favorite guy, but he's definitely somebody who makes sense if you're just looking at some of these categories. And some of the stuff that stood out to me, other than the fact that he's uh, he's winning at a high level right now, and that's just irrefutable if you look at his record, he's going to probably win the Sun Belt again this season. And everyone talking about the Hugh Freeze, and he just pasted Hugh Freeze yesterday, or, uh, Saturday uh, in their matchup in, in Lynchburg. And um the big thing that he stands out is like all of the anecdotes that you hear about his attention to detail. You just, in terms of like a program accountability standpoint, he seems like the one guy, at least you have like anecdotal evidence from sourced accounts written in the media about him, of how he's actually able to just kind of understand what is going on and what will go on in his program now. And like four months from now, like he, he knows what the team is going to be doing in terms of a practice evolution yeah, already for Louisiana, he's going to stay there already in April because he's already planned it out. Um, he has a couple different post-game pressers where he's talking about plays that he ran that scored touchdowns. And the reason he did that is because they had practiced a certain different type of scenario based off of a look that they saw a year prior from that same team in that same situation that they knew they were going to call timeout and do something. So he just has that like recall ability as well. So in terms of just like a game planning and scheming standpoint, in terms of development, Usually a lot of these guys kind of get these jobs and they come up because they have some sort of like player that they put in the NFL. That was Fuente. He put Andy Dalton in the NFL. You helped, you know, get him there. You helped Paxton Lynch get in the NFL. What is one Louisiana Lafayette player that anybody has ever heard of that it came through his pipe? He doesn't really have that. It's kind of, he's a program kind of, you know, the, the only thing that comes out from him is like the win and loss record. And that's why he makes a lot of sense. Will he be there? I have no idea. I don't know what Witt, if he's going to have an interview with him or what he thinks of him. But in terms of some of those kind of programmatic kind of CEO type things, because he has talked openly about he, he enjoys hiring and firing people, just to have that be a thing that he said out loud. I'm like, okay, no, that's the CEO type. So I don't know what that means at Louisiana versus a power five school. Uh, but 
that's why the fan base probably loves him so much. And that's why he's coming up so many times from all the different media accounts of being a, a, a mutual interest of BT. So I get it. I just have no idea if he's coming here. And obviously with the Florida job opening, I think, I think, you know, LSU is probably going to end up friend zoning Billy Napier. I agree. But Florida coming open today is definitely, you know, if, if Billy Napier for whatever reason has Virginia tech as number one in his personal big board before today, uh, definitely probably going back to the drawing board and reassessing that with Florida uh, becoming open. Yeah. Well, I mean, they hired, they hired urban Meyer from Utah. You know, they hired, I mean, it was a disaster, but they hired Jim McElwain from uh, Colorado state. <laughs> it was a disaster. Um, so yeah. they have a history of pulling down in the group of five. So Florida has a precedent for hiring a group of five coaches looking probably for that next Meyer type guy is McElwain. That I have no idea, but fun fact, kind of show it. Fun fact, as a result of his experience under Saban during the 2011 season, as well as the time spent working closely with fellow Alabama assistant Jim McElwain. So him and Jim McElwain are buddies. He followed McElwain to Colorado State to become the quarterback coach and assistant head coach with Jim McElwain. Although, no naked shark pictures with Billy Napier. So for you PETA people out there, that is not going to be a problem with Billy Napier. I actually take that as a negative. That's like the one thing he needs in order to be able to get this job. You need more nude shark photos, apparently. That's just me. That's what I'm looking for in my CEO coach. All right. The next candidate that I want to talk about is Marcus Freeman. Love because, Marcus. you know, this is a name that people were throwing around earlier in the year. And if, you know, just to, to kind of give you that idea of Marcus Freeman, Marcus Freeman was the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at Cincinnati from 2017 to 2020. He spent some time at Purdue prior to that. He played at Ohio State. He was a GA at Ohio State. I want to say under Jim Tressel in 2010. And when was Jim Tressel? When did he finish up at Ohio State? Four? Was it 2007? How old, I'm, how old am I? It was mid to late 2000s, and it was the Terrell Pryor kind of like 08, 09 kind of fiasco with the tattoo parlor, if you remember. So right around then. Um, so Marcus Freeman is a first-year defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. And you've seen Notre Dame in a rebuilding year just completely do more than just rebuild. And, you know, as Mike was saying earlier, they're going to win 11 games this year. What do you guys think of Marcus Freeman? I mean, in terms of, quite frankly, I think I am most attracted to Marcus Freeman because he is a complete shift and a complete different type of first of all it's an african-american head coach in the state of virginia which i think would be monumental for recruiting i think it would be say crazy. it out loud gotta say yeah, it out loud I'll, it matters, I'll, I'll it matters. Say it out loud. i think it makes a huge difference yep um i think he would be the first african-american head coach i mean since mike london um obviously he has nfl experience as a player with the chicago bears and the bills and the uh, texans um, I like his background. And then if you want to go ahead and look at on the field results, I mean, Navy hasn't given up a touchdown in three weeks um, against Navy, Virginia and Georgia Tech. He's done a phenomenal job. I mean, um, I, I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. The only thing that, you know, kind of worries me and 
one of the things that Witt said during his press conference was he doesn't have head coaching experience at the power five level. He actually doesn't have head coaching experience at any level. Um, and that's kind of my only real red flag with him. I love his youth. I love his energy. I love what he's done uh, recruiting on the defensive side of the ball, succeeding, especially recruiting at Notre Dame, which is a challenging place to recruit Cincinnati, which is a challenging place to recruit. You're seeing the recruits that he brought into Cincinnati playing right now for Cincinnati. Um, and again, an African-American head coach at a power five job, it's rare. And, um, it's something that would be different. And, uh, I think it would be good for the program and good for recruiting as well. You want to win back the seven, five, seven, you want to win back Richmond. I'm not saying you can't do that with, with a white head coach. That's not what I'm insinuating. But players will look at Marcus Freeman because there aren't that many African-American head coaches in the FBS. Players will look at Marcus Freeman as a guy who's paving a path, right? He's kind of starting this like new movement at Virginia tech and that will draw players will be drawn to that high school kids will be drawn to that. Um, that's a fact like that is a fact. And if, if you're going with, in my opinion, if you're going to go with a guy who's not got any, if he doesn't have any head coaching experience, right? Like if you're going the coordinator route, Freeman's one of my top picks. Um, you know, Mike Elko's up there and, you know, and I know Tony Elliott's up there and, you know, p- people talk about Brett Venables every now and then. I don't, I don't think he's candid here, but like that, that's my point. Like if you're going to go the coordinator route, I think you go with Freeman. I, I like yeah. Freeman a lot. Yeah. He's done a great job at Notre Dame, period. I agree. And, and the big thing that he said in the anecdote is that ADs are in the risk removal business. I think that was his exact, <clears throat> his exact quote. And that's 100% true. I, I've heard uh, and written, excuse me, and read uh, other anecdotes about how athletic directors perceive hiring. Um, and that's the big thing is, and one thing I've is, is a lot of them are just adverse to hiring coordinators. It's a bold move on their end because you don't specifically know how they're going to react to being immersed as a head coach in a power five type conference. But if you're going to re- hire a coordinator, I tend to think of what makes what are the similarities of the already successful coordinators that are out there? Like what, what makes them kind of uh, uniquely kind of positioned to assume the next position, like a Kirby smart, like he was the longtime Alabama Pittsburgh quarter. He goes to Georgia and he's, he's been crushing it. Granted, probably some flaws in the old quarterback evaluation department, but he's still got the best team in the nation right now when they're in the fast track, to possibly win a national title. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but they're there. Uh, but the thing that I look at is, is how long have they been successful as a coordinator at a high level? And that's usually one thing where you don't see a lot. You see a lot of coordinators come from like group of five and then they get the coordinator job here. They'll spend like one or two seasons and then they're all of a sudden off to the races as a, as a uh, power five head coach. And those are the ones that tend to fail a little bit more than not. Um, and I feel like that's at this point, you know, cause he has been at Cincinnati for, I think it was what, four seasons, Notre Dame at one and, he was co-defensive coordinator, but I'm going to count that because we count co-defensive coordinators around here, co-coordinators at Purdue. And uh, that's what, six years now of power five level, because I will put it out there. Cincinnati has been operating kind of like a power five program ever since Luke Fickle got there. 
Um, and they've been doing that by playing a lot of trying to like leaping up into playing power five teams. Um, so that's enough for me to think that, okay, he at least has that capability of knowing what it means to, in this case, run a program because he's been there. Um, uh, Mike said it kind of as well for some other guys whose names are kind of popping up, but I agree with you. Like if there is a coordinator that he's going to reach out to, this one is that because coordinators are risky in terms of AD, but if you hit on the right one and they take off and it's, it's the ceiling is just so high. And that's the big thing for all the reasons that you laid out. So if you're going to go for high ceiling. He would be the one for me. Definitely my, I, I, I'll just wrap this up by saying he's probably in my completely unqualified and un, you know, serious, don't need to take very serious, but he's my number one pick. I, 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 I love Marcus Freeman. Yeah, we would, we would be in very good hands with Marcus Freeman. I think we think, I think, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, look at, look at the 2016 cycle tech sideline does a good job of covering. I wish y'all could have just seen Mike's face. <laughs> it's just, I mean, that's literally what I was thinking. I was in love with the Fuente hire and it was great for two years and then a, <laughs> kind of a debacle for four. So it's just like, you, we don't, we really don't know. I mean, we have no idea. Yeah. We have no idea. Um, yeah, that like the 20, like go ahead, look at the 2016 coaching carousel and see how many of them have been successful. I think the only one was Kirby Smart. The only one that has not been fired or has retired was Kirby Smart. Pep Hamilton is now like a quarterback's coach. Matt Rule is coaching in the NFL. And then everyone else was either fired or, you know, retired. Um, that was next. my mouth found about the 2016 uh coaching carousel <laughs> next on our list jamie chadwell the mullet the mullet man out of conway what is it conway beach south carolina down there i think in, it's just uh, conway but yeah CCU. conway beach baby <laughs> conway. conway beach i thought you're going another direction with the with number three but I, I i i am not researched on on him at all um so he i'll runs- defer to you he runs basically like a new age triple option, like out of shotgun, like his offense. Oh, yeah. I, I think I predicated this before. Beware the person with the system that can't lose. So this to me is more of that yeah. kind of salesman kind of thing. I, I think that falls more along the lines of that, you know, hit lightning in a bottle in a certain specific area in a certain specific conference with a certain specific system. And this would be the defi- the definition of the kind of generalization bias. Oh, because it works here. It absolutely has to work here kind of thing. This is what this kind of unique, weird kind of offense. I, this is Are you saying that least... his offense is the alien tape of college football? It's not even that. It's just more of the assumption that because it works here, it will have to work okay. here. I want mm-hmm. to do less things of trying to assume something and just go off of what Witt is trying to do, which is listing right. attributes of the head coach, not the system and the thing that he wants to bring over here leave that stuff in conway or conway beach or everyone to say it and just bring yourself and then come over here and do it but that's that's just me i, I don't know I, i'm less sold on him and i hate it because he's constantly thrown into one of the higher odds people that virginia tech quote unquote is looking at and i just don't see it and i have to believe that web Papcock is not seeing it as well i have to believe that yeah I, I totally agree with you there, Chris. And like, even just from his track record that we talked about, he's coached at North Greenville, Delta State, 
this is kind of funny. The Delta States mascot is the statesman. Delta State statesman. Charleston Southern, Coastal Carolina, and that's it. Um, he's he's definitely on the. I would I would imagine he is definitely on the lower end of coaches that Wit is evaluating at this point. Next one, I, I think these I think these next two will kind of round out some of the hottest names that we've been talking about so far. Um, but the next one, Dave David. Clawson, as Billy was just calling him earlier, David Clawson over at Wake Forest, they got their uh, their first conference loss yesterday to the hands of the Clemson Tigers down there in Clemson. What do you guys think of Dave Clawson? Because half the fan base is panicking, running around with their hair on fire because of the rumors about Dave Clawson. The other half is saying he can do more with less. Imagine if he had the resources that Tech had compared to Wake Forest. Mike, the is, same- so, Mike is so ready. To answer the, this question, the same I am the same damn people that were celebrating the Fuente hire and screaming and shouting for joy are the ones mad about Dave Clawson. Look, Dave Clawson is not the perfect candidate, right? He's not. His defenses have been bad. Chris mentioned this earlier that, or before we that hit is record. Way to put it. Yeah, Chris mentioned this earlier. I can't remember if it was live or, or before we hit record, but he's never found a way to replace Mike Elko. And Chris is right on the money with that. When Mike Alco was his defensive coordinator, Wake Forest defense was a top three or four unit in the entire conference. And that was before they had an offense scoring 50 points per game, right? Um, they had that one John Walford year where they were really, really good. But outside of that, they've kind of been this up and down offense up until recently. And Mike Alco parlayed the Wake job into the Notre Dame defensive coordinator job and has now parlayed that into the AM job, right? But Dave Clawson has never found a way to replace Elko as a defensive coordinator. Defense has been flat out bad. I would take Dave Clawson if he overhauled the entire defensive side of the football, right? You need entirely new defensive staff coming to Blacksburg. You cannot, it cannot be status quo. You can't bring Wake Forest north of Blacksburg. Can't do it. Uh, the recruiting thing is a concern, not because we don't. Here's the thing. We have no idea if Clawson can recruit or not. There's certain caps that the Wake Forest program puts on you from an academic standpoint, from an actual like caring and like monetary standpoint and funding. From a who wants to go to a high school for college standpoint. Right. Who wants to do that? I mean, Wake Forest played one of their one of their biggest games in program history a week ago, and the stadium was half full. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's the thing, right? That's hard to recruit to. Right. And he's not going to have that issue in Blacksburg. So that's the other part of it, too. I, Dave Clawson would be would be good, I think. But he would be good with some ramifications, like with some with some edits to the coaching staff. You got to change I, some things. I think if you're looking for the guy that has the most stuff on his LinkedIn <clears throat> and the most uh, the most experience, you're probably not going to find someone with more actual experience than Clawson. He's been coaching since 1989. He's been the head coach at Fordham. He's been the head coach at Richmond. He's been the head coach at Bowling Green. He's been the head coach at Wake Forest. He was the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. I mean, he's got a lot of experience. Um, I don't think looking at an overall record makes a ton of sense with some of the jobs that he had and how difficult they were and how little time he was at them. Um, I would say that if you want to put David Clawson in a box, it's probably the most experienced elderest 
potential guy, I guess. Great well, thoughts. You no, know, th this is great because this is to me one of the defining, <clears throat> excuse me, Rorschach moments of Virginia Tech because I find this Can you fascinating. Tell me what that is? I maybe well, maybe that, has, it, that is yeah, like the psychology. You get that like ink blot, and you look at it, and like you think it looks like this, but it might look like something else. Did okay. We, did, 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 did we miss uh, psych level one hundred courses? In, in oh yeah, I definitely. I must have missed that day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Dave Clawson to me represents uh, stability, but the ultimate kind of low ceiling type of hire. And I think a lot of people like him because of what he's able to do in terms of just having a competent team with, you know, reaching low and getting these guys and just building them and developing them. And, and Mike knows, I had no idea if he's good at recruiting. I did a coaching search kind of pool analysis and you try to look at how they have performed. And this is they, this is uh, like a hundred recruits that were, excuse me, a hundred coaches that were hired between uh, 2010 and 2019. I looked at all of them, the pools that they came from, all their experience. I just wanted to see like how they performed in terms of their recruiting since they got there and the five years prior recruiting average from when uh, the, the prior regime was there. And the, the, the anecdote from Clawson at Wake Forest was, um, if I can pull it up here, the average recruiting rank, a class rank, uh, before he got there was 64.4. And then after he got there was 61. I have no idea if that's Wake Forest or Dave Clawson. I have absolutely no clue. Um, so that is a concern, but that's something that he's going to have to define in his uh, vision interview if he's even getting one with, with Babcock in terms of what he would do to turn that around. Uh, but to me, Dave Clawson is like one of those ones where tech fans looking at Virginia Tech and thinking, who can we get that would be cheap or we could kind of convince them to come along? And then you look at another coach who, to me, kind of fits that Dave Clawson mold. Granted, not as many years in terms of head coaching experience at a Power 5 level, but you look at a guy like Matt Campbell out in Iowa State. Similar kind of profile in terms of like high-level, solid coach. He's out there. He's winning like eight or nine games roughly at Iowa State. But he is deemed untouchable because he's just in this other upper echelon level beyond Virginia Tech's reach. And to me, it's like if you're with Babcock, if I'm doing kind of like who should I be actually be courting here, you know, if I'm thinking Virginia Tech is a lower tier type program that should be kind of reaching down to pull up, I'm looking at a Dave Clawson. But I think if we should punch up, you know, we should make that kind of like Buzz Williams, kind of like more splashy type fire. I'm going to go after a guy like Matt Campbell. So that's kind of me, the, 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 you know, one hand versus the other type of approach here. So it's fascinating. Like I said, with the prior Billy Napier thing, I have no idea if he's even a viable candidate. If he even wants to come here, he might just be happy in Winston-Salem, and I think a lot of these reports are his agent trying to just up his salary there, uh, but it is what it is. This is a crazy season, and people are just throwing names out there. I just don't know if he's realistic, but if he is, then why not someone like Matt Campbell or someone else? Um, that's my. That's just the way I think about it. If he's the guy, I will be underwhelmed for 15 minutes, and then I'm going to talk myself into it and be completely behind him until proven otherwise. To be honest, isn't that what we're going to do with anybody that's hired? Yes. Yes. We're going to go like, eh, and then we're going to talk ourselves into it. Yes. And then we're going to basically just be like flying that banner. Uh, yes, come yes, next yes. Season. yes, yes, yes. So the last name I have written down on this list, and then after that, we can kind of free ball it. Ooh. Charles Huff, head coach at 
Marshall, the thundering herd. Dude. This guy. I mean, I mean, you, want me to go? you can go. I'll, I'll just give my quick two cents. Like the, the ability to recruit. First of all, he's, a, he's, he's from Hampton or he played at Hampton. He's got roots in the seven, five, seven area. Yeah, he's but, from Maryland, but he played at Hampton university. Double whammy. So you got yeah. some DMV there and you got some seven, five, seven and you know, recruiting. If you can lock down Virginia, you're going to have some success because you're going to be able to get some talent in the door. Charles Hoff, I watched probably 30 minutes of one of his press conferences, and it was just awesome. I think Will Stewart wrote a, a nice article about Charles Huff a few weeks ago, and uh, the video was embedded there, but it was just this dude who just commands the press conference, man, and everyone listens, and it's a ton of fun, and you know, he can sell ice to an Eskimo, and he can get the talent in the door. Um, this is a fan base that is so hungry for having a head coach that can be the face of the program when it comes to, you know, sitting in, uh, sitting in an on-site visit in your living room and, and selling you why to come to Virginia Tech. As far as like proven track record, I know at the time he was six and four at Marshall. This is his first year at Marshall. Um, I don't know if they won this weekend or not, but Charles Huff. Talk to me about Charles Huff. Who wants to start? I'll, I'll go just because this is one that's been growing on me more and more and more. And more. I, I love Charles Huff, and I'm just going to go ahead. I, I thought differently beforehand just because I wasn't necessarily sure. And, and you're talking about the differing levels of group of five football. Conference USA football is kind of at a tier a little bit lower than some of the others. AAC, Sunbelt kind of being in front of them. So you're not necessarily sure kind of what it means to be successful at Marshall, but Everything that you have heard from his associates, like he used to coach with Joe Moorhead. He's been at a bunch of different schools, not just at Alabama, but he's had he has been at Mississippi State. He has been at Penn State. You look at the thing you just said, it's proven track record of success. So if we're going to talk about proven track record of success, you need to kind of stretch what that means a little bit. And then in terms of like head coaching record, but anything else, because if you're going to consider a coordinator, what's their proven track record of success because they're not directly linked to the head coaches uh, wins and losses. That's kind of an easier way to track that. So to me, there is nobody who has had that kind of unique blend of everything that we have seen. And you, then you have to extrapolate what he's doing at Marshall year one and Marshall year one, he's at seven and four. He's probably going to go on to be competitive for the conference USA championship. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look at the conference standings, but it's usually one where they're kind of in the mix at all, but that's year one. Billy Napier, who is kind of the, you know, fan base love, like he was seven and seven or seven and something. I can't remember what it was year one in Louisiana. So you have to extrapolate that out. Like what is year four of Charles Huff and Marshall look like? And then compare the two. Like, are you just getting Charles Huff really early on as a possible candidate at Virginia Tech? And you're buying into every single thing else, but the fact that he has had this like track record, quote unquote, of success at Marshall and you can get him in year one at a premium and let him do his thing here to start. And that's what I think. I'm, I'm going to just kind of, I'm a gambling man. I'm going to gamble on something like that. Uh, Cause I do feel like he checks every other box that we've seen. And it's somebody that might not necessarily be kind of quote unquote, giving us the stiff arm treatment while other opportunities open up. I feel like he's a guy that would just absolutely love to coach at Virginia tech if given the opportunity to do so. So I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I do think that, 
Whit Babcock should at least give this guy an interview. Like at, at a minimum, of- he should get an interview. Just allow him to speak for himself. Well, and I, all I was going to add was like, he's the type of guy who would be captivating in an interview. I'd imagine just by the nature of his press conferences, I would, I would assume that he would, he would be captivating in that setting. And it's probably, to be honest with you, it's probably a big reason why he was Saban's lead assistant and a really good recruiter, because I think he builds relationships like that everywhere. And if he's able to establish that relationship with Witt in an interview, I'd have to think he's probably going to be a pretty strong candidate. Yeah. There is no less heralded position in college football or any football really than the running back coach. I feel like it is. If you get to have the running back coach, oh, you're one of you're the running back coach. So you're just kind of the person who's just responsible for the guys who can just do it themselves anyway, kind of thing. But he got tabbed as an AHC. And I feel like that separated him just a little bit and exposed him a little bit more. So I, I like that he has the the kind of unique experiences that he's had at Penn State and Mississippi State, kind of a little bit classed down the SEC. He's had success at every level. So to me, proven tracker of success, he's had success at every single level that he's been at. So, well, and being the AHC at Alabama as well in 2019, um, the one thing that really separate, and I was with you, Chris, I was exactly uh, in your boat where when Huff's name started getting floating out here, I'm like, okay, what are we doing here? Like, why, like, are we, are we just saying names to be fun? But here's, here's the way I look at it. Billy Napier, wherever he goes is going to get paid. If Mar- if Freeman leaves, he's going to get paid. If Clawson leaves, he's making $2.1 million at, at Wake Forest right now. He is going to get paid at his next gig to justify leaving. When I look at a guy like Charles Huff, I think of a few things. One, another African-American coach uh, in a Power 5 job. Two, experience in Hampton, playing down there, building that uh, pipeline back. But three, I think Virginia Tech would do itself well in taking a page out of South Carolina's book where you bring in the coach that you're taking a chance on. He's an energetic guy. He's a young guy and allow him to surround himself with good coordinators. Use the rest of the money that you would typically pay a coach to fill in the rest of your assistance pool. If you get Charles Huff in here, you're getting a 38 year old guy who's been coaching football since he was 23. His playing career ended in uh, 2005 and he was the Tennessee state offensive line coach that very next year. Uh, And he's been coaching ever since. I like the idea of bringing a guy in who's been around and then, you know, you're probably going to get him at some sort of discount by taking him and giving him his first real co-head coaching opportunity and filling out the rest of that staff. Find me an ace recruiter, find me a, uh, a dynamic and new offensive coordinator, find me one of the best defensive coordinators in the country and just go from there. Um, so that's how I think you sell the fan base on coach Huff is we're bringing in this young guy. He's energetic. He's got roots here in Virginia and we're bringing in a kick-ass staff to support him in his first time in this role. So we just listed off a few names, Billy Napier, Charles Huff, Marcus Freeman, Dave Clawson, Jamie Chadwell. Those were kind of five that we did a little deep dive on. Um, who, who that we did not talk about do you guys want to get in uh, and chat about here as we hey, wrap this? Chris, should I throw my name out there? I know should you're going to do it. Out there? Yeah, let's do it. Blake Anderson. I knew it. Yeah, there you go. He loves the guy <laughs> from Workaholics. I have no idea why you like this guy, but tell me why he should be the head coach. Let's go. Not that Blake Anderson. Blake Anderson, head coach, Utah State. So Blake Anderson has held 
multiple assistant coaching jobs coming up through the ranks on the East Coast, including as an offensive coordinator on the staff of Larry Fedora at North Carolina. He goes to Arkansas State, where he goes 51 and 37. He wins two Sun Belt titles at Arkansas State. He then takes a job at Utah State. Utah State was one and five last year. This year, Utah State is eight and three. They're going to have a real opportunity to potentially win the Mountain West. This is a guy who could coach on Pluto. If you're looking for a guy who can develop talent, if you listen to him at a press conference, we just, we just talked about the Marcus Freeman thing, right? Talk about the ability to relate to people who understands and gets it right from a college football standpoint with, with, you know, the changing landscape and understanding the needs of the kids. And if you want that type of guy and a guy who's going to go up there, say the right stuff, put the team in position to win, get the most out of his talent because he's done it everywhere he's been. Blake Anderson's worth a look. He's charismatic. He'd be a cultural fit in Blacksburg. He knows how to recruit on the East Coast. He's, he's already done it. We've seen him do it at, at his previous stops. And now he goes out to that part of the country, man, in Utah. He has literally no experience on the West Coast of the United States. He goes out there and takes the roster that went 1-5 last year in the Mountain West. They're 8-3 and three this year playing great football. How he doesn't have more head coaching opportunities at the Power 5 level is beyond me. I don't get it. He's in his early 50s. Guy's a stud. Blake Anderson. I've never heard of this human being in my life. Um, and you semi just sold me on this guy. I was originally going to get angry at you because I thought you were talking about this UTSA guy who signed a massive extension. Oh, Jeff Trailer? No, no, no. Yeah, not him. Like him, though. But I yeah, like him, he too. Was, he, was the offensive coordinator, he was the offensive coordinator at North Carolina in 2012 when they uh, – Still had Larry Fedora. They went eight and four, five and three in the ACC. I mean, that is that is impressive to go from primarily all of your coaching experiences in the Southwest and in kind of that Atlantic region, and then go to Utah and just kind of piece it together. Um, but he's definitely an out of the box name for sure. Uh, is there anybody else on the out of the box, out of the box uh, carousel that you guys have will float out there or are interested in? I mean, I think. You know, it, just just thinking out loud here, Venables don't see it. Mullen don't want that. Uh, we said Beamer no. Uh, PJ Fleck, why would he leave? I <laughs> I think it's going to be somebody that we just don't talk about. Honestly, a large part of me thinks it'll just be somebody that we haven't talked about. What about Josh Gaddis? Yeah, was the uh, he kind of fits that. He he was the co, I think, coordinator at what was it, Bama? So Josh Gaddis played at Wake Forest. And then he went to Michigan. Yeah, played at Wake Forest, is from Durham. Um, has coached at UNC as a grad assistant, Western Michigan is a, so he's an offensive guy. Um, he's currently the offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach at Michigan. He uh, so he was at Vander's, Vanderbilt as a wide receivers coach and recruiting coordinator, was at Penn State uh, as a passing game coordinator, wide receivers coach, and offensive recruiting coordinator, and then Alabama co-offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach until Michigan 2019 is where he started there as the OC and wide receivers coach. I mean, yeah, he, he, he could be another one. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he, he certainly could. I mean, yeah, I, uh, it's, it's so funny. I just, I, I want, I want this to be over because we're just kind of for, for the last week. Like, yeah. This is all beating the hell out, uh, or out of each other over the head with these names and stuff. And, you know, at the end of the day, do you guys, how about this? Here's a question. When do you anticipate this to be done? Uh, some people were asking, you know, what's the benefit of getting this done early? I think the benefit of getting it done early is you let recruits know who the guy is, is one. But the other side of that is you get them to come to practice. And when Coach Beamer was moving on, Coach Fuente and his entire staff were at practice evaluating, asking questions, seeing what kind of stuff players are good at, who are guys they're going, where are they going to need to attack the portal? Where are they going to need to address different needs? A week from today, a week from today, I think. That that's, I mean, the the practicing might may or may not be an element there. It depends on how this week goes. If we're going to have bowl practice, but actually, Billy Ray, I was actually curious too in terms of being around during that transition time. But what the 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 other than Fuente, were there any other pool of candidates that ever approached the program? Was there anybody else that was ever involved that was it's ever so coming funny. close to contact and anything like that? Like these these are the juicy tidbits that the the listeners want to hear about. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember. Did Tom Herman uh, come to Virginia Tech? Do we know anything about that? I mean, what, what, I didn't up? see that. We never noticed sleeper candidate. We never noticed anybody come, but I remember <laughs> uh, some of the things I distinctively remember are um, when we found out that Coach Beamer was leaving. Coach or uh, Wit came in and he said, "Hey, we're going to be talking to a few players uh, and asking them kind of what they are expecting or what they want out of the new coach." So. You know, I was tapped and went and talked. Now, Isaiah, I, Isaiah was one of the guys who, uh, who who spoke with Wit about that, and and he, he came in, and we were kind of like, "Well, what's the deal?" He's like, "Man, I have no idea." And then we would just sit on the couch for like the next two weeks and just literally look up coaches' press conferences of names that we would read on Twitter. I specifically remember we were sitting on the couch and we typed in Rich Rodriguez, and he would do. He does this thing in the locker room after games where they'll like clap and count how many points they score on offense. And then we all kind of just looked at each other and we were like, well, I hope it's not Rich Rod. <laughs> that's, that's, like, that's like the extent of uh, kind of what it is. You don't know what's happening. And, and the, as soon as we found out who the coach was, he was in our meeting room, talked to us, shook everybody's hand um, following that meeting and then was at practice basically every single day since then, unless he was out recruiting. Um, yeah. and after practice, he would introduce himself, talk to guys, Hey, like, you know, um, what is something that you want to do differently? What is something this, that, and the other? So I think the sooner that you can get them FaceTime with these players, hopefully before the season's over, um, is crucially, crucially, crucially important. No, that's great. That's great insight. I'd be very curious to see if anybody can, like, I don't know, have like, a. Uh, pull the players if they're seeing these people come in i don't know how closed door it's going to be i'm very curious to see what wit's going to be operating like here yeah that was something that. where the the announcement was made kind of mid-season whereas this one was made uh, like a week ago so right yeah I, I don't remember ever hearing of anybody that was in the facility and if you remember like uh all the reports of uh coach fuente's interview with baylor like they met off-site and baylor flew to virginia in order to do the interview um so, you know, you can look at all these like flat flight tracking things and, and whatnot, but at the end of the day, 
Wit's not gonna Wit's not gonna bring Billy Napier in through the front door of Merriman to to conduct to conduct his. Do you want to be the head Here coach? Here he comes strolling down Beamer Way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, they have him at West yeah. End. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I remember when I was uh, I remember when I was like a freshman. Seth Greenberg was still the basketball coach at Tech, and uh, he was rolling in with uh, Dorian Finney Smith, I think it was, uh, on a recruiting visit. And they were just like in West End. They knew it was a recruit, obviously, because like the whole coaching staff is sitting there with like the kid who's like, you know, looks like he's like 16 or 17. Right. And he's like you know, six, seven, six, eight. And like they would legitimately just like take him to West End. Like, that yeah. was the, that was a recruiting pitch for a while. It's like, come on, man. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't think, you know, as far as the kids, as, as far as what I understand, the kids are concerned and know you have no idea what you have no idea what's going on, you know? And I, I also thought it was interesting and, and I appreciated his answer. Um, uh, I, I saw the coach was talking about, or not coach, the, the athletic director was talking about potentially getting former players involved. Like, look, like I, I don't see the value add in that at the end of the day, a large portion fair or unfair of wits career and legacy at Virginia tech is going to have to do with this interview. Um, one of the last things that I want to say on it is I think it's silly to hold his hire at Cincinnati against him because it was a kind of a unique situation, um, when he went through that. And especially with the coach Fuente hire, like find me anybody in the world after the 2016 game uh, year, or even the 2017 year who wasn't fired up about that hire. You want to be upset about how long he was there? Fair enough. You want to be upset about how long, how the lack of on staff adjustments that we made fair, but to say that I don't trust with Babcock to hire our next coach because he hired coach Fuente is silly in my opinion. So that was an awesome exercise, ton of fun and appreciate your guys' insights. Um, we have two or three letters from the lunch field that we could roll through really quick here and then, and then uh, wrap it up. Yeah. Pete McGee, this kind of goes to what we were talking about earlier a little bit. What did Billy see or hear from recruits when Beamer stepped down before signing day? Were players fairly patient in wanting to get to know Fuente before making a decision? Yeah, so, you know, it's such a weird, it's such a weird situation, right? Because I don't necessarily know what their day-to-day is looking like. Uh, And it's so challenging as a kid and as a coach to try to do the right thing. Like I thought JC gave the best possible answer that anybody could give. Right. When he was saying, look, like at the end of the day, we worked really hard to get this class. It's my school. I want my school to do well. If I'm here, great. If I'm not great, I still want these kids to come here and do well at Virginia tech. But at the end of the day, like it's kind of a weird position to be in as a recruit. And if you don't, I, I think it's silly not to do your own due diligence, uh, and I'm sure a lot of them are doing that unless you're committed to the actual school, which in my opinion is the right way to go about it. Um, if you commit to a coach, you never know when they're going to be there, who's going to be there, if they're even going to be there when you show up. I committed to a coach who recruited me all through my process and he wasn't there the day I showed up at school uh, with Jeff Grimes. So, you know, I, I don't think a lot of kids think of it that way, um, but that's kind of what we're going to be going through. And you're going to see other recruits take other visits. Um, but I didn't really interact with a lot of recruits kind of going through, going through that. I think at the end of the day, until you have a new coach who's, and they know who it is and they've spent some time with them, you're probably not going to know a ton 
not going to know a ton about it. I guess when I, when I was committed to coach Grimes and they switched to coach Searles, it was like two weeks before my signing day and coach Searles got out, saw me and, and all of the other offensive linemen that were committed to tech. Um, and you spent one, one day with them and it was like, look, you're either coming here or going somewhere else on super late notice. And a lot of those places were full. Um, so I knew I wanted to go to tech. I loved tech. I didn't care who they hired and uh, I'm glad I did, but it's a unique situation to be in as a recruit and a unique situation to be in as a coach. That's probably not going to be there next year. Andrew Shoemate, to go off of that, what do you expect to happen with the current recruiting class that is set to sign next month? And currently it's a top 20 class. I think we're the number 20 class overall, but there are also, you know, dozens of top recruits that have not committed to their destination yet. Um, So it's all subject to change. Now, one thing you have to consider is, you know, attrition is going to happen with this 2022 class, Um, you know, in this era of the portal and whatnot. And just um, the fact that we're replacing a coach, there's going to be some guys who, you know, like Gunnar Gibbons, for example, I think he, is visiting or visited Carolina um, over the past weekend or something. Um, we have to consider two things. Some of the 2022 recruits are going to decommit. And then also, you know, one of the first orders of business of this new coach is going to be, Hey, let me re-recruit every single verbal commit in this class right now. Let me meet with all of them and go through this process and make sure that we can keep them committed. But also you know, say for instance, you get a Billy Napier or Jamie Chadwell or Charles Huff that has, you know, 20 something guys committed to Marshall or committed to Coastal. They might pull their top guys and say, hey, join me in Blacksburg. You know, I'm going to Blacksburg. How about we uh, how about we just do this song and dance in a different location with different colors and uh, and a whole different type of thing. So those are two things that are are definitely uh, expectations that fans should set is that there will be some attrition and it's really going to be on um, this next staff to, to keep these guys in. And, you know, guys like JC Price who are doing a great job of making, making sure that these folks are staying comfortable. Not only that, it's going to be important for them to not just recruit your current recruiting class, but recruit the players on your team. Um, you're going to have to, I mean, one of the biggest conversations the, one of these, these new coaches are going to have to have are with James Mitchell. One of these biggest uh, conversations they're going to have to have are with Malachi Thomas, Daywan Lofton, Tavion Robinson, uh, Luke Tenuta, all these guys. Um, and not only getting the guys that are in high school to come here, but the guys that are actually going to be playing next year uh, to stay. So, uh, Chris, do you have anything to add on that? No, you kind of hit the nail on the head. The other thing was just going to say, like, I, I know that there's going to be that right-sizing event of – the kind of COVID year for a lot of people and extending into the fifth year. And it's going to ultimately just kind of rear its ugly head. Someone's just going to get the bandaid ripped. And a lot of coaches are just going to go ahead and just shift towards, you know, high school recruits rather than having retained people on scholarships on their current programs. It's going to be an ugly event. It's going to probably happen within the next year and a half year or so. So um, also addressing that in the room as well as is not just the top end names in your program, but it's like, a lot of the depth as well. Uh, so you're, you're kind of recruiting the entire program in addition to your recruits. Whoever's coming in is going to have to be a heck of a salesman, which we've, we've already alluded to who the better salesmen are, but they're definitely going to have to get that buy-in within that first week because they don't have a lot of time to do it. And so uh, good luck to them, whoever that is going to be. 
Last question here comes from Steve Bryce. Now that we can see the roster needs a large overhaul, a new quarterback for 22, O-line depth, speed on defense, should Witt make his number one priority in a new hire, someone that is an excellent recruiter like Huff or Hugh Freeze, rather than an average recruiter like Clawson to mine the portal to fill in holes? I think, I think, it's, the, I think it's the first part of that for sure is – is is find a guy that can recruit rather than mine the portal, you know, in an average. Sorry, I will no, say I that part part of the portal is recruiting. So mm-hmm. let's just get that straight as well. It's like in order to get top end portal talent as well, you have to be a really good recruiter as well. So I just want to say like recruiting is not just kids out of high school. Recruiting is keeping kids on your roster. It's also recruiting is also keeping uh, that kind of talent pipeline in from the transfer portal as well. So like we're, we're expanding our knowledge of what recruiting is. This person's going to have to be in charge of all phases of it because we, we, we've talked about it before offline as a group, but like you're constantly probably getting semi attack from all lenses, not just in terms of high school recruits, but also the current kids on your roster at all times, you know, these kind of like one-off kind of like relational type things too. So, you know, it never stops and it's in all phases of the game. So that can only be done by having somebody who's constantly building that kind of buy-in and culture and whatnot. And it's constantly selling the vision of the program. So absolutely somebody of that mindset, because they're going to have to be able to cover their bases in every single direction. Yeah. I think, I think one thing to note on this question though, is like, it's impossible to, kind of I think that's a really hard thing to quantify right like like we said it earlier like I don't know if David Clawson's a good recruiter I, I don't because how well are you going to do at Wake Forest in recruiting um, and a lot of recruiting has to do with what assistance are you bringing in like Sam Pittman was a good recruiter when he was an offensive line coach at Georgia we knew that he was going to be a good recruiter when he got to Arkansas um, but with some of these head coaching jobs if they haven't really been an assistant at a power five school and recruited a specific unit really effectively, there's not really a way to kind of know that they're going to be a good recruiter or not. And also if the assistants that they're bringing in are going to be good recruiters or not. So, you know, it's, again, that is a quality that only wit is going to be able to be the one that is in a position to identify. Um, So not a great answer, but that, that, that is my answer. Cool. Well, that's about all the time we have this evening on the Sons of Saturday. That was a ton of fun. Mike had to dip. Shout out, Mike. Thank you for joining us. Chris, as always, it is a pleasure. You are a gentleman and a scholar. Emphasis yes, on, the, uh, on the scholar part. <laughs> but man, really enjoy you coming on. Always a, a good time to have you on here. Any shout time. outs, Chris? Chris, anything we should be watching out for? Anything you have to plug? This is where can we follow you on TikTok? This is this is your chance. You, you, you can follow me on TikTok by deleting your TikTok app because I'm not on TikTok. I'm I'm beyond that. I feel like you just get your like <laughs> you get to a certain age, and it's like one of those things where it's like, all right, I'm at this age, so I'm just gonna just I'm frozen in time. So I'm I'm the I'm the unfrozen caveman lawyer. If you can go back to your Saturday Night Live days. So this new world is is scary and new to me. So I'm just I'm I'm, I'm a kid of the early 2000s. So I, I'm just devoted to my certain things. But um, in terms of things that possibly coming on the timeline here, um, one thing we're trying to look at is just 
Virginia talent overall. So it kind of peeled the onion back on areas and regions of this, you know, the Commonwealth. And, and, and we can always talk about the seven by seven, how important it is. It is important, but one thing to also notice is that Northern Virginia has gotten really good at football over the last 15 years, 10 years specifically, and just kind of what that means, what it means in terms of Virginia Tech's ability to continually put talent on the field in a hopefully hokey uniform and what Virginia is producing. So I feel like it was really cool to see kind of high schools, regions, area codes, everything kind of stack it all up. And we're, we're continuing trying to build that out. So eventually we're going to get out there. We're trying to put it closer towards national signing day or early signing day. But um, that's something that we have in the works here. Chris, you've done a phenomenal job. Appreciate it. If you have not, please check out the article. It is linked in our podcast article. Uh, if you have not checked it out, um, but great, great stuff. Aside from that scheduling, the next podcast that you'll hear from us, we are putting out our interview with coach Kenny Brooks, Elizabeth Kitley and Asia Shepard. And then we will have our UVA hate week, UVA game preview. Um, and hopefully we can score some points and beat UVA and end the season on somewhat of a positive note, but let's find a head coach. Let's win, continue to win basketball games and let's try to beat UVA. Take care, everybody. Time to wander, tripping in the sand. We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand. But I saw you dance like you want to in my head. And all she said is, Oh, I know what you're thinking. Take a hit, it started